The Fantastic Podcast, Episode 1. Hi, and welcome to The Fantastic Podcast, Episode number 1, the official episode number 1. I'm Andrew Knight, and I'm welcoming you to this very special premiere episode of my new podcast. If you want to know what this is about, please check out podcast episode 0.5 where you will find a little introduction and a little test what's going on here a little like let's say better a little taste of things to come today is the first official episode where i will do what i want to do here and that's a basically two-part story today we're gonna look into some uh topics namely uh things fantastic stuff fantastic things that I'm doing watching, playing, reading right now and afterwards we're going to jump into a general topic. Today's general topic and I'm going to try to have one of those general topics every episode. Today's general topic is very simple, it's fantasy meets reality and this is basically where we'll go into matter, into the matter of um, how fantasy, all that fantastic stuff, um, which this... Uh, podcast really is about how this fantastic stuff interacts with reality and why it makes sense to couple this but let's jump into part one all the fantastic stuff going on right now and i'm gonna start off with a big one something i already teased in episode 0.5 and thank you for listening to episode 0.5 if you've done it if you've not done it please check it out the Fantastic stuff I'm talking about is Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery is, as I've already told you, a really cool TV show they've produced. I really am pretty hooked to it. And I managed to catch up with the latest three episodes, uh, which well, culminated in the mid-season finale. And it was definitely a finale. And... I'm not gonna do a classic review, I'm just gonna jump onto some major points I wanted to talk about, major points that just kept me very much, um, well, hooked or kept captivating stuff that still are on my mind. And it's basically pretty much the ending of the final episode of well, half the season where we see a victory for the Federation or at least for, for uh, the Starship uh, Discovery. And after the finale, there are three major developments on my mind. First, we have a victory for the Discovery. They shut down the ship of the dead they tricked the cloaking device and great honors they await locker he's being awarded the legion of honor of course he's not accepting it he's uh, transferring it basically to stamets but it seems like not everyone back at the home base is so happy with all that's been going on with the discovery. 
it sounds very much like they're planning to strip Lorca of his command over the destiny, uh, the destiny, the discovery, of course. Which brings me to the assumption that Lorca might go on a run, meaning that he's gonna just take his ship and be off to wherever he wants to. That was my assumption until the very end. Um, because that problem might have just solved itself, because at the very end we have Stamets going in for one last jump and emotions boiling over there, but who did not see that coming? He did over 130, I think 135 jumps for that triangulating the cloak field and he barely survived. And then he goes in for one last jump. We don't know what exactly happened, but he was very uh, badly in a bad condition, in a bad state. And he tried to go for that final jump home, which was, of course, he's now the one supposed to get the honor of Legion, uh, Legion of Honor, the Legion of Honor. And, of course, he steps in for this one final jump and it goes completely wrong. They end up somewhere, they don't know where. Um, Saru cannot pinpoint their exact location. It reminded me a little bit of uh, the Voyager story, so basically just being transported to a completely different quadrant. And in that case, all we know is it, look, it looks a little bit violet, purple, and apparently there are Klingon ships, like a Klingon ship graveyard. Klingon, Klingon ship graveyard shipyard maybe um all speculation at this time Lorca mentions other i think he says other are those uh, klingon ships klingon ships i'm pronouncing that weirdly klingon ships and we're left with a discovery in distress somewhere out there maybe in a different reality maybe in a parallel universe which would take the series, the TV show, pretty far already. Let's see if they did the let's go to an alternate universe plot and how it will develop. But point is, uh, Lorca is now out of reach for of the Federation and Stamets is probably badly injured, which is just a shame because... Well, okay, everyone saw it coming. It was like, he's going to do that one jump and then he's going to collapse and maybe die. And uh, he misses one last jump. Yeah, that never works. And he invi invites his uh, the doctor um, for, I think it was opera on a moon. It's, it's just tragic. One more development sees Tyler or saw Tyler face his jailer and torturer and maybe something more. I mean, we had this very disturbing scene of him and um, the Klingon torturer having sex, I guess. And is that the first Klingon sex scene we have seen in a <laughs> official Star Trek uh, production? I believe so. If not, please uh, correct me. But the Im the implications are far worse um, than 
just having sex with a um, Klingon. Uh, it's basically what I've got to say. I uh, assumed this from the very start because he was in such a good shape when Lorca met him in the prison. And someone even stated this in one of the previous episodes that Tyler looks very uh, well for someone who's been so long on a Klingon prison ship, but or in Klingon prison, in, in Klingon uh, custody. And that already gave away some hint that he might be a Klingon, Klingon sleeper. And I believe that this is actually what's happening. Um, he never was, uh, he never resisted. He resisted at the beginning against the torture, but then somehow the Klingon torturer broke him, made be via torture or via seduction maybe. Maybe that worked. It definitely looked this way. But at this point, it very much seems that Tyler is a Klingon sleeper agent. It would make sense, wouldn't it? And the final scene, just before this jump, the final uh, jump towards the unknown, it, uh, it, it further strengthens this assumption when Tyler meets his, uh, well, what are they exactly to each other? She's not his jailer anymore. She was his torturer. It's more like she's his mistress now, his... Uh, I think he's just asleep and it's, at one point she's gonna snip her fingers and he's gonna turn. But then again, she has already now turned on a Cole who doesn't... Well, he's gone. Now what? So, overall it was a perfect mid-season finale and it leaves us hanging in the air and we're looking for more. Can't wait for the next episode to drop. And I'm I'll have to look this up quickly. I should have done the homework earlier. But if that was the season, the mid-season finale, that could, of course, imply that we have to wait just a maybe a couple of weeks until the next episode hits. We have over 16 episodes in season one. And this was now, of course, episode... Well, that was episode 9. Holy cow. Actually, we have to wait until January 7th until the next episode hits. But then it continues weekly. Wow, that's a little little uh, hole to fill. But I'm sure we'll find something to watch in between the two halves of the season. So much for Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I also watched another fantastic movie. This time a movie, not a TV show. Uh, you might seen it up on Netflix or somewhere else. It's iBoy with our favorite, maybe our favorite Game of Thrones persona. Maybe not, that's up to you. Um, Aya or... It's not directly Aya, it's Macy Williams, uh, the, uh, the actor, the actress who plays Aya in Game of Thrones. And she's in a, um, well, supporting slash lead role in this. And it's a pretty neat story. It's about, um, it's, it's, a, it's after a novel, a youth novel. And it's about a young boy 
who well he walks in on he lives in london and it's not not the it's not the center of the city it's not the best part of of town and there is quite a high criminal uh, a rate of criminality and drug dealing going on and all that well it's not the fancy stuff you're not uh, sipping champagne and eating the expensive food it's pretty much the tough life of london and one day he's of course not the he's not mr popular and one day he walks in on a like well a break in someone broke in into his well, girlfriend quote unquote girlfriend's home which is macy williams and he walks in on her being basically raped by that gang of thugs what happens next is basically he uh he goes for he he runs away um fumbling out his phone and calling the police which makes very much sense at this point because the guys have a gun they are more they are like five guys and he just runs away and dials the police calls the police and just before he can make the emergency call one of the guys shoots him and apparently he shoots the phone the phone explodes and parts of his iphone i suppose his smartphone are being well melted with his brain he has parts of his smartphone stuck in his head and the implications are very simple afterwards after his after he's basically healed he is able to interact with technology he starts off seeing the waves like uh, waves of electromagnetical waves i suppose everything related to technical stuff he's able to see perceive and at one point he starts manipulating those waves all the all the electronic stuff is basically under his control at this point and so he goes on a classic vengeance trip a revenge trip and he seeks to get payback um, against the rapers basically and he succeeds but then again of course uh, there are some um, troubles because the there is a gang boss behind all this and he's of course a little bit smarter he advises the gang or he commands the gang to take away all the electronic stuff and so they try to shut him off his or shut him out well lock him out of his potential to overcome or physically harass them and it all runs down or comes down to a big showdown between the the antagonist and the protagonist um, the main villain and that's really the point where the build-up to the showroom was really good and then uh, it loses a bit of well it's just really quickly coming to an ending and that's what you very often find when you're dealing with a uh, a book that's being turned into a movie and that's also the feeling you get with iBoy where you have a really strong setup, a really strong development of characters, and towards the end it gets a bit rushed. 
So you have the showdown pretty quickly and it feels it's not a very satisfying ending. Um, also, the kiss is very, well, different. There are different opinions on that. I've talked to a couple of people. Um, some say the kiss, I mean, it's a big kiss. It's the kiss between Arya, sorry, Macy Williams, and uh, the protagonist, Eyeboy. And afterward, after everyone is basically defeated, the, the villains are defeated, it's the happy end, the feel-good story moment, and they kiss, and it's really just a little kiss. Some say, well, that's pretty much a, a letdown, the ending is quite alright, and others say it's a very strong uh, continuity because of the rape, and you see... What, what you witness throughout the whole movie is Macy Williams in her role having trust, major trust issues after being raped. And in my opinion, I absolutely agree. And I also think that it's still not, it, it wasn't enough trust issues because she was very trusty towards um, iBoy. Um, his name, I think it was Tom. He, she was very trusty towards him, which is fine, but then again, it was a pretty quick recovery. She, had, she was still sitting at home. She had issues going outside. But if you consider this together, then the, the, the short kiss towards the end is actually perfectly fitting. They, they would have kissed for like 20 seconds. That would have been rather more, not awkward, but it wouldn't have fit the overall story of a girl overcoming uh, rape, her her memory, her, mm, her being, well, prisoner to the fact that she was raped beforehand. So the ending was, under this perspective, very much fitting to the development of character. But that, then again, I can't stop saying that the it, it felt like a rushed ending overall something you very often um yeah encounter when it comes to books being turned into movies but nevertheless it's very much worth worth a a look because the connection or just the creativity behind it um it's not it's not very far-fetched uh, you basically take a normal young boy and combine him with the latest technology and you get iBoy it's it's not the pinnacle of creativity but it's very well executed and the setting in lower class london is really something i very much enjoyed and I guess whoever likes that kind of scenario, that kind of atmosphere, a little gloomy, a little darker, will enjoy iBoy. Finally, after iBoy, and iBoy still already had this dystopian feeling to it because it was at, at lower class London, I stumbled upon a really dystopian scenario regarding... Half-Life 2, to be specific. Half-Life, the game, it's been quite a while since it was released. I still remember playing it back in the day. Um, that's gotta have been like around 24, 22, uh, 20, 2002, yeah. 
probably um, when I played it, uh, not when it was released. And still up to today, people are enjoying Half-Life 2 immensely. And what I stumbled upon was an article over at PC Gamer about the oppressive world of Half-Life 2 role-playing, which I found absolutely fascinating. There is apparently a Garry's mod for or a Garry's mod mod for Half-Life 2 in which you with other players do some sort of role play where you take on the role of either a combine or a citizen in City 17 and just go after your daily routine. Um, that might it might sound now very exciting to you or not at all, depending on uh, what you expect under it. But in this case, it's actually... The exciting part is that it's not exciting at all. You're just a regular guy. You're not Gordon Freeman. You're a regular guy playing your regular routine. So again, one could ask, why would I want to play the stuff I'm already doing in real life? Well, actually, uh, and luckily for us, you're, we are not getting our food rations at the um, like central station of the Combine, an alien race who has pretty much enslaved us. So it is a kind of, well, variety of modern day daily life, of course. And it's very much a dive into some dystopian world. And apparently this lives and dies with the community, the players on board, and really the love for the role play. So you're either, either a uh, citizen and you just go around, get your uh, food marks and try not to be a rebel, basically. I think it won't get you anywhere if you're trying to be Golden Freeman point, uh, 2.0. You just have to be conform you have to be one of the good citizens and if you behave differently for example hiding behind a um, container or something there might be the chance that one of the combines also uh, controlled by a player might approach you and ask you what you're doing here then you have the chance to explain yourself if you fail to explain yourself you might be taken into custody on the other hand, uh, if you're able to play one of the combine, which I imagine is one of the more exciting duties, then again, you might be stuck in a, a position where you have to uh, hand out the food, mar the food uh, tokens. Uh, this might not be the most interesting, let's say, job at all, but it's all about apparently the role-playing element where you just assume the role of one of the uh, characters in City 17 may be the oppressive combine patrolling the streets or just checking on your well subordinate citizens asking for their names their, letting them state their intentions and all that stuff you're basically the police and on the other hand you have the citizens who are all just trying to get along and apparently there is some sort of bonding together, getting to talk to each other and all sorts of things can development, uh, development can develop at this point which I find very 
interesting. It's sort of like a dystopia simulation, which I'm definitely gonna have a look into. It seems like it's uh, it's just basically Gary's mod and a special server. And if I'm not wrong, anyone probably not anyone if they open it to if, you, if they open the server to everyone then I don't think the roleplay would work out it would probably break because you would have a million people jumping around and saying I'm Gordon Freeman but I guess it's worth a look and why not jump into this really fantastic but dystopian fantastic world of Half-Life 2 which we all who have played Half-Life 2 back in the days were I guess amazed by not in the positive way but more in the um, negative way in case of or in the in the sorts of wow this is really dark and it's a bad place and I don't want to stay here and this guy over there is beaten is getting beaten up I better hurry along I think it's it's great that people are still working or li basically living in this in this world and just keeping it alive and keeping also the history of it alive. So that pretty much wraps up part one of this podcast today. I'm now con now continuing to part two, which is the general topic, and I want to talk today to you about one very important topic and that's really the base of this podcast it's fantasy meets reality the thought itself might be a pretty much childish one it's a simple wish that all the fantastic stuff all the fantastic worlds the stories that we meet day in day out are not just entertainment that we consume and digest and spit out again. It is the wish that those fantastic worlds carry some deeper meaning. So that's what I want to talk about when I choose the topic fantasy meets reality because I believe that all fantastic tales are not merely the product of imagination that vanish into nothing but at the specific moment at the precise moment when we consume it when we watch it when we live it it becomes part of us reality and fantasy meld they go together there are like remnants of the fantastic worlds let's take some specific examples to show you what I mean. Let's start with The Lord of the Rings. There is probably not a single individual out there who doesn't know The Lord of the Rings. Not only was it a successful movie, it was a phenomenon. It just was everywhere. From, of course, the cinema, but the movies, you could see the films, but it didn't stop there. You had all the merchandising stuff coming down to cereal boxes where you had little, little cards you could collect. So The Lord of the Rings is just a prime example how fantasy does not stop with the fantasy itself. It 
penetrates the layers of reality. It becomes part of our reality of the daily life. And I mean, who wouldn't agree if I say Lord of the Rings made our lives better? Another example would be Star Wars. I mean, when they relaunched, not relaunched, when they announced the follow-up episodes, episode uh, 7 to 9 for the new Star Wars, not everyone went crazy, but almost everyone, because you get those people who watch the original ones, episode 4 to 6, and then you got the younger generations who watched episode 1 to 3, and there's still a big gap, a bit, a big divide between the old Star Wars fans and the new Star Wars fans. Um, I personally was born in between the releases, so I still favor the old Star Wars way more than the, the new ones, the in-between ones, 1, 2, 3. But that didn't mean I couldn't enjoy episode 1, 2, 3. And again, Star Wars is being surrounded by this that fantastic aura that makes it so much more. It becomes way more than just a movie. It's, I mean, some consider it being a religion, almost like a religious cult that Star Wars has become over the decades. And this is just one example where you just cannot deny that fantasy and reality go hand in hand. Another example would be a very statue I've I have standing here on my desk. It's a see a sword which can be used to open letters and it's a merchandising. It was in a collector's edition of the game Ego Draconis. It's a knight holding a giant sword, which in itself it looks ridiculous, but that statue as part of the merchandise, it is also this transcendence of the fantastic world a world in which dragons exist, and the statue itself, is, it's a dragon knight. It's a medieval person, per se. It's, it's a medieval character, a knight, combined with a dragon, a mystical creature. And through this fantastic, this fantastic imagination, it permeates that layer of the game, and it becomes in some way part of our reality. So looking at it, it evokes different images of this fantastic world and it might act as an inspiration at a, maybe a calming, has a calming effect or it's just, it just makes you happy to look at it because it's a cool statue and you can use it. Now examples like this, they could go on forever. Posters are a good example. Every fantastic world, it comes with a poster. You can bring on the poster on your wall, on a door. Even if you want, you could uh, like use a or or um, you could put up a poster of the Lord of Rings in your office. I mean, <laughs> who would judge you? Probably no one. And the ones who judge you are the ones who secretly adore it. The posters, bracelets, for example, bracelets or jewelry. Another example from the Lord Rings, the leaf of Lothlorien. I uh, got one like 10 years ago. No, it's 2017, so that has got to be 15 years ago. 
and I recently rediscovered it and I was in joy. It is the manifestation of an object that you will find within the fantasy, within the fantasy of the Lord of the Rings. That leaf, that jewelry, that jewelry, a piece of jewelry that was used to hold together the cloaks of the fellow uh, of the fellowship of the members of the fellowship, later used by Mary, Mary and Pippin to lay a trace for Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli to chase them down. It is that very symbol that has made it from the fantasy from the movie into our real world and it is a manifestation of that fantastic world and one could say okay that's merchandising in general yes it is merchandising and it sells really well because no matter at what fantastic world you look at you will have merchandising that's just how it works but is it a bad thing just because you you spend money and someone else earns money well you could say yes of course but then again, it's our way to be part of that fantasy or just to remember the fantasy. Because looking at the Lord of Rings, most of those merchandising is now part of remembering that fantastic world. So of course, you got um, the reboot in, in, in the coming, but I'm, I'm very skeptical about uh, the reboot. Of course, I will give it a try. But let's be honest, the movies, they set a pretty high bar for fantastic worlds. But, well, let's wait and see what a TV show, a, a series can bring up. Maybe looking at, as I have announced, never before told stories, it could become quite a hit on Amazon. Well, but the merchandising aspect, the, the living of fantasy, because that's what we do, we live the fantasy itself. I mean, I have a huge Andrew sword replica in the room next to this one, hanging on the wall, being flanked by two lamps that look like torches. I mean, that's as nerdy as it gets. It's merchandising, and it's just like money on a wall, but... It's, it's got so much more than, it, it is so much more than just a piece of metal or a piece of money. It is a symbol for a piece of story, a piece of fantastic story. A sword that was reforged after I cut the ring off of Soren's hand. Of course, that's what I see in it, that's what uh, my wife sees in it, luckily. But someone who does not know the Lord of Rings, and well, that's a minority, I, I guess will not understand what it actually signifies. And it's this, this the signification, what it really means that carries so much importance of such objects. But maybe then again, the value of the object is something very mundane. Maybe we should focus more on what we can get from fantasy worlds that are not anchored in the material world. So the very easy question would be to ask, what can we learn from fantasy? Can we learn anything? Is learning the right term here? Asking that question, I have to think about different terms, like 
more in the lines of inspiration, maybe role models, ideals. Watching movies in the fantastic, playing games in the fantastic, it was never for me personally a mere act of consumption. It was always looking for some deeper meaning, probably, and also looking for a place where stuff was possible that is not possible in the real world, at least not at the specific moment. And I know a lot of people who use fantastic worlds or who use them as a sort of retreat. To retreat from problems to go into some sort of yeah, of retreat basically to also collect themselves and think about possibilities, maybe reflect, maybe even use it as some sort of meditation. And fantastic worlds, they might just give you the solution to your problems. Uh, they might act as a simple inspiration that could come through a variety of factors. It could be an inspiring character, an inspiring story. Maybe, um, as old stories were often used, they have a deeper meaning that tells you more about life than you would have learned in any other place. Maybe in those fantastic worlds you will encounter role models like as a teenager I absolutely had the person, the character of Aragorn as a role model. I mean, that's not very surprising. A young uh, boy who grows up in a rather conservative society decides to depict, uh, to pick this uh, brave knightly soldier. Soldier is maybe the wrong term, but that... How, how would he best be defined? He's a brave archetype of a man who is very, very easily ready to sacrifice himself. It's, it's a rather classic role model amongst men, I would say. And of course, I picked him to be my role model. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Choosing a conservative role model doesn't have to be a bad thing unless of course there are certain elements of power involved but in that case it was the the role model or let's say the attributes behind that role model specifically honor and loyalty and of course being just a brave companion and also somewhat a leader that encouraged me to pick this role model and, of course, how ideals work, I tried to live by those standards. So, in my opinion, this is one example of how a fantastic world, a fantastic character can positively influence our daily life. It is, as I said, along the lines of inspiration, which in today's terms is often regard, uh, considered, especially regarding terms as gamification, that is a, a topic that is also closely connected. Um, of course, movies or books or TV shows, they do not um, act as a channel for gamification. But then again, lots of inspiration is happening nowadays in gamification, or in games especially, and therefore it is a rather significant topic. So, is it really gamification? I think there is a difference between the inspiration you get from 
fantastic worlds, especially in games, and the factor of gamification. While gamification is a simple term to describe the transformation of daily routines into games, which could very much be Tetris, and there is a limited amount of fantasy behind Tetris, arguments are welcome on this really tough opinion, but um, considered with the opportunities you find in the Lord of the Rings regarding fantasy, Tetris is on the losing side here. But you could use Tetris as a model for gamification and just rearrange tasks in the order of, or in the, after the image of Tetris. While fantastic worlds and the inspiration you find in fantastic worlds may be regarding your character development, may be to towards the solution of troubles, of problems, of, well, crisis. That's more along the lines of the inspiration I'm talking about here. One very important point for me when I look at the connection between fantasy and reality is the opening of new possibilities. Reality seems often to be set in a very strict and solid foundation, meaning you get told what's possible and that's it. So there is no thinking outside of the box. Fantastic worlds on the other side, they have all the stuff we cannot do in reality. And I'm not talking about flying or fighting dragons. I mean, we do have to fight dragons. Make no mistake about it. We do have to fight dragons. We have to fight our inner fears, our insecurities. And meeting those fears with fantasy. For example, if we imagine ourselves being the knight and our fear being the dragon, we can slay the dragon. So from this perspective, I actually do we can learn how to slay a dragon through fantasy, through fantastic journeys to fantastic worlds. So the interesting thing about fantasy is it's something from which you can learn a lot. It makes new things possible. It expands the boundary of the impossible. It widens our horizon. So fantasy, it's not just a hobby, it's not just something that we do out of laziness, not at all. It's something we do to improve ourselves. It's a source of creativity. It is our own fantasy that is inspired by the fantasy of others. And that's just what fantasy is really about. If it's the book, if it's a game, if it's a movie, a TV show, or anything else, the creativity behind the fantasy, the innovative aspects, the breaking out of the box. That's just what fantasy is all about. The dragon, it's just an expan ex expansion of our own mind. The dragon is the evil that threatens us day by day. It can be our co-worker, it can be some jerk from school, from uh, down the street, That's just what the dragon stands for. The dragon can also be your friend. That's also a possibility, but it's just the fantastic imagination of something we do know in this world. And now in the case of the dragon, the fantasy delivers us with a solution. 
It might just be to stand up to the dragon. It might be the solution to really go up and confront the dragon. And maybe learn that the dragon isn't our enemy. So that's just really my take on why fantasy is important and why fantasy needs to meet reality, needs to meet our daily life. Because what do we get in the end? Let's just imagine a world without fantasy. It would be a solid gray rock. And that's it. Because without imagination, without fantasy, without all those colorful worlds, there would be just black and white. There would be nothing to hang on to. That's just the cold, blank truth about it. And that's also why fantasy and everything that comes with it, also the problems, because that's part of life. Solving problems is part of life. But fantasy, that's what we need. And now more than ever, we need to turn back to fantasy. We need to turn back to that fantastic, magical ways of life to enrich this life that has become very functional. It's all about working. It's all about being a functional part of society and doing your 40 hours a week, if not more, and serve society. And what about you? What about yourself? What have you done lately for yourself? It's probably been a journey to some fantastic worlds. May it be a movie like iBoy, or maybe the TV show like Star Trek, or just a book, a game. You treat yourself with fantasy, day by day. Magic fantasy is the treatment. And the sooner or later, the sooner we realize it, the better. So, our fantasy can make this life more colorful. And our fantasy can be shared. So if we dream up a fantastic world, if we create a fantastic world, we have to share it. It's one thing to, sh to create it for yourself and have it for yourself, but sharing is just what makes it come alive. Because where does it exist? It does exist in your mind. And once you tell it to someone else, it lives on in this person's mind. That's just how it works. And that's amazing. That's an amazing story of fantasy. And this also really emphasizes why I created this podcast. Why I want to take you guys on a journey to those fantastic worlds. Let's take a nice trip to the world of Mass Effect. To the world of Lord of the Rings. And I'm not only talking about Middle Earth or the galaxy that we find in, in Mass Effect. It's way more. It's the whole world that is being created when we read, watch or play those fantastic worlds. It's just way more than a restricted experience that we consume through our laptops, screens, books. It's something that creeps through our world and we have it there. We have it there always. We are being inspired by fantastic worlds. It structures our actions. It enhances our skills to solution, creativity. And why not have more of this? That can never be wrong. And the really important point is that consuming it alone 
is one thing, but sharing is what creates community. And a fantastic community is something that can change the world. So, in my opinion, if we have fantasy on a weekly base, at least, we can have a better life, we can create a better life. And with this approach, try to go out tomorrow, the next week, just think of all the fantastic elements that you have in yourself to tackle daily life. How fantasy, how fantastic worlds, how fantastic characters, how fantastic stories, great amazing stories, how they inspire and enrich your daily life. And maybe you are able to notice how it's already there, how the fantasy surrounds you. Try taking a walk and look around. You will see that the fantasy, the magic, it's already there. It's sometimes hidden because we seem to have banished it from our daily life at some point because functionality killed creativity. You heard it here, not for the first time probably, but I'm saying it out aloud. Creativity is the, the core of all progress, of all development. And the functionality of the last decades killed it. And we need to resurrect the fantasy, the creativity, the magic, basically. And the fantastic journeys, the fantastic worlds, the fantasy itself is just the perfect tool, the perfect place, the perfect world to do just that. So this has been a very philosophical debate today, but I think it's very important. And I'm Grateful for you listening to this podcast. I hope you could follow along. If not, please let me know in the comments. It's a very deep and meaningful topic and it needs more discussion. And it needs probably your comment down below to see what's on your mind regarding those fantastic journeys and how fantasy and reality or daily life interact with each other. So until the next time, I'm Andrew Knight. Thank you for listening to the fantastic podcast. I'll be hearing you soon again. Thanks.